That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Okay, we're back with another episode of that naturopathic podcast. This is Dr. Kara. And this is Dr. Dave. And today we are joined by Dr. Belgit Kamba, um, all the way from San Diego today. Welcome, Doc. Thank you. So, so um, Belgit was a classmate of ours. Um, I think, did you start with me and then graduate with Dave, or how did that work? Your two CCNM class of... I was, uh, I was with Dave, actually, but I was a uh, January, so I started oh, in January. Yeah. Right in between us. Right. Good place to be. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, we're really excited. You've been on our list of guests we, would, we wanted to have on for quite a long time. Um, so Belgeet is an assistant professor at Bastyr University, which is another um, accredited naturopathic um, training college or university um, in the States. And uh, so she's got this really cool perspective of being a professor and teaching other naturopathic students and also having clinical practices both in Brampton and uh, at the teaching clinic down at Bastyr. Uh, but we're talking to you today about um, we're kind of sitting a year out from a pretty long journey that you've had. Um, and so we really think that there's a lot of um, you know, we're really excited about this conversation and um, the wisdom and, and the uh, insights you've had a year out from a pretty hard journey. So it's a big question, but can you take us back and, and give us a little bit of background and as to what happened about a year ago? Mm-hmm, definitely. So really, it summed up to I had about a year. So I'd February-ish of 2019. Um, I had kind of had this ongoing lump in my left breast that I felt for a while, maybe about a year. And I'd have like, you know, I'd palpate it. And being a healthcare practitioner, I kept checking, okay, well, it's mobile, movable, all the typical things that uh, we would do. And I said, you know, it's, it seems to be going and fluctuating with my cycles, with my menses cycles. So I thought, you know, it's something that's that I shouldn't be too worried about. However, it was starting to come up where it wasn't going away even outside of my period. So it started to get a bit worrisome. Um, and then I, you know, I'd been examining a little further and it got to a point where we knew that it, it needed further workup. So my husband and I, we left San Diego um, and went back to, and for a number of reasons, but we went back to back home to um, Brampton. Ontario. And um, what I ended up doing then was when we were there, I immediately went for care to go and get it observed. And, you know, thanks to our, our, the, the urgency of my provider, I was diagnosed a week later, uh, we went to the um, to Trillium at Credit Valley and the surgeon, she was, she's a great surgeon, 
and maybe not and, and true to being a surgeon. She's, she's wonderful in what she does in her craft. I wouldn't say she would have the greatest sort of, um, you know, bedside manner. She was really abrupt. She was like, right, you have cancer. Um, and this is what we're going to do. You're going to need to have surgeries. You have this. And then my jaw dropped. And at that point, I was just sitting there staring at her. And I don't know what she'd said after that. All I, there was a flurry of surgeries and, and, you know, it's really big. I don't know if you're going to live, like all these sort of things, which I couldn't really um, get my head around. And then as soon as she said sort of her spiel, and, you know, for me, it sounded, it seemed like it lasted an hour. I think it was only 30 seconds. Um, she left the room. And all I could do at that moment was, I just sort of, I just looked and I said, what the, and I kind of, a bunch of explicits. And uh, I turned to my husband and I just started crying. I was like, oh my God. And this is coming off the heels of my husband's father just passing away from cancer. Not even a year, I think about a year had passed since then. And now we're dealing with me. And, and for me, it was a big sort of kick in the gut because here I was being this healthcare provider who provides health for others who lived and naturopathic as that, you know, here I am living my life as a naturopathic doctor, doing all the things that I, you know, loving my medicine, loving doing all the things that we do as naturopathic doctors and really making sure to tell others about that and treat my patients that way. And, and I was the one that got cancer and, you know, really kind mm -hmm. of facing with that sort of impact that I had felt of, you know, how, you know, I, I couldn't, there was too many things for me to wrap my head around right at that moment. So there was a lot happening. So I get diagnosed. Um, so I get diagnosed. And then, you know, once I kind of cried it out in the, in the hospital, then I was like, okay, you know, whatever semblances of structure I could get, I gathered within myself. And I said, okay, my next step, see, my husband and I were family planning and now that's going to have to be put on hold. I was like, okay, right. If I'm going to choose to do chemotherapy, you know, I'm also going to have naturopathic medicine on side and that's what I'm going to be doing. But I know that, you know, I'm going to need to do some sort of fertility preservation before I begin. So in the time that the surgeon was out of the room, I said, okay, well, I'm going to do chemotherapy and I'm going to um, combine naturopathic medicine. I'm going to do fertility preservation I'm going to see, a, you know, I wasn't sure about surgery yet because I said, well, I don't know if, and we were deciding to do chemotherapy first before surgery since um, that was an option for me being a younger person. So then with that, I said, okay, well, um, you know, we're hoping that chemotherapy can, with all the things we're doing, because we weren't quite sure of the size or how many tumors there were. At the moment, it looked like I needed a mastectomy and there was a high chance of it coming back. So in which case I'd need a double mastectomy. Um, and then, so when I came back, when she came back into the room, I said, okay, well, if this is the case, you know, and I laid out those steps. And so then uh, we agreed that I had two weeks essentially to get any fertility things I needed in order, but I needed to start chemotherapy right away. And so I did that. And through that process, we were able to save one embryo. We call, we call it little MB and MB's frozen away in Toronto. <laughs> somewhere before whenever we're ready <laughs> so we have that then that was sort of our and it was good to have because that was my sort of one of my motivators I was like we're doing this for MB <laughs> anytime anything comes around we're like we're doing it for MB <laughs> so yeah so that was sort of the place I was at a year ago and then you know then chemotherapy and everything old 
That's a, I'm just, just go, I can literally put myself in that room, you know, as a fly in the wall, the weight of, well, both surgeons words in 30 seconds. I, I can't actually, I, I can't contemplate that. The, the weight of those words is so heavy. And then the weight of you making those decisions there after just hearing that, it just, it seems incomprehensible. And I mean, that's you who had, who's, let's face it, you are a smart cookie. Like you, you, you know, medicine and you know, you know, you know, the steps and you know what happens. And so um, I'm just even imagining a patient who doesn't have, maybe that's a blessing sometime to have less knowledge. I'm not sure. Love your perspective on that. But I'm just commenting on the weight of the discussion in that room and the decisions you had to make there. And that's one thing that I do speak to a lot of people about a lot of patients is because not everybody knows. And from the research that I had done and from when I'm speaking to other people um, who'd gone through similar process, I'm realizing that not everybody is aware of that fertility preservation and thing. And there's other options. You can also, um, you know, use medicine to keep your, ovaries dormant and hopefully that's a good option as well for some people Um, and so there are many options around it but those options aren't always given so what I try to do is when I'm speaking when I'm talking to patients when I'm you know when I was going to places like Wellspring which is one of the free services that we have in Canada to go for cancer um, for, for cancer support I was trying to speak about it as much as I can so that I said you know I utilized all these resources I made it my job um, to be a cancer patient and to be the best and, you know, being the people pleaser and the, the helping professional that I am. I did all the things to make sure my docs were happy. All of my doctors from the oncology to the naturopathic to the, my ac- acupuncturist to everybody. I did. I'm the, I'm the ideal patient. So I was like a stellar patient. It doesn't in that surprise regard. me. You're the, the top of the class, of even, even uh, as a cancer patient. <laughs> had to be. I was like, knowing you as a student, that does not surprise me. (laughs) So being that I had to do that. And I had to, I have a binder here of a, of all my research. It's tabbed, all my appointments, everything was structured and organized because I made living my job. I was like, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to yoga. I'm going to do my acupuncture. I'm going to do everything I can because this is all I'm doing right now. And I'm not going to do anything else but focus on me because, you know, for me, cancer and not for, for me, having cancer was a big wake up call to say, look, you've been giving yourself to others. It's time and like striving for other things. And perhaps that focus, you know, if I take a, a mind body perspective, perhaps that focus back onto myself hadn't happened, or at least it was imbalanced. So now I was like, well, that was my wake up call and I'm going to make living my life. So living my purpose. So in that case, I'm going to do all the things I need to do and, and focus on me for once um, or more so I should say. So, so a year later after, after like going through all that traumatic uh, stuff and then like making living your job, as you said, what's, what's sort of stuck from that, period what sort of stuck and and continues through like day to day now because you're back to work you I mean you live we were talking earlier that you live in multiple areas you have multiple jobs um you have practice in in Canada and Brampton and you work as faculty at two different locations of the university so now how are you integrating all the things you learned during that 
time. So one part of it, I have to say, like the, the part of me that likes to achieve and strive is, you know, I can't get rid of that. That's, that's just ingrained. Um, that's just, you know, I, I try to tame her as best I can, but she is what she is. And so do you, you find that's it, a negative? I'm sorry, just to, just to uh, sit there for a minute. Is that, do you feel like there's, you know, what's the pros and cons or what's the risk of that? And what's the benefit for you? Mm-hmm. And I'm asking for a friend. Yes, of course. <laughs> because I, I might resonate a little bit with she, she that said, quality. She said, well, Jean is the only one who is like probably like visibly more organized than I was. In school and yeah. so. I appreciate that. Well, um, and maybe it seemed like that on the outside. On, on the inside, I, I don't always feel so organized. But in any case, I, you know, I come from this... Um, my faith is Sikhism, and it has this one tenant of Sikhism called seva. Seva means selfless service and selfless service unto others. And so, you know, I would constantly be giving to others. And I, and I would have that item of, you know, of, that, of, of my faith sort of resonating with me and saying, you know, I'm doing this not just for my faith, but because that is who I truly believe, you know, that I ought to be. And so I was doing a lot. I was seeing a lot of patients. I was in clinic at that, you know, before, you know, when I was in clinic, I would all day long, I would see patients. And if a patient wanted me to come in early and that was the only time, I would come in early. If they needed me to stay late and until the late hours, I'd stay late. I'd come in on the weekends. I would do, you know, I gave much of myself. And then, um, and then same thing when it came to my, you know, when I was uh, at Bastyr, same thing with my students. I would give a lot of my sort of energy to them. And I realized, and well, it's a great thing because it's my passion and I love doing these things. And I, you know, I really strive off that I, you know, I, I get such pleasure from doing it. And I, you know, feel that's who I am at the same time, because I wasn't giving to myself enough. I put myself on the back burner when cancer hit, I had to take um, a step back and do a few different things, few things differently. I, you know, I was still doing stuff with Bastyr, but I did it on a much smaller scale. I took the summer off completely while I was on enduring chemo and I didn't fully come back until January. I was doing little bits and pieces of things that I wanted to do, but even now I had to learn the word no, which is um, a big one in my vocabulary that I don't always, that doesn't sit well with me, <laughs> but it was something that I've been learning to do. And I adjusted to doing the things. Not only did I learn to say no, but I adjusted to do, I took a step back and I looked at my practice to say, how is it that I want to practice with my patients? What is it my goal to do to, to be able to provide for So many times when I was in seeing patients before, I would say, you know, I'd love to be able to have just one-on-one -on -one time with them for a long period of time. So now my practice has changed where I have a very small number of patients um, and I follow them through, you know, a, 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 through a series before I go searching for, before I, I go searching for a new patient. So that's one aspect. And then from teaching and research, I, I've learned from a teaching perspective to sort of, um, you know, to understand and to know that I can be there for the students and I can be there for them, but they also need to, they're looking to me as an example of what a naturopath is, I want to make sure that I'm showing them what a good example of a naturopathic doctor is and that not being able to answer their emails. Way. Um, it might be saying, and I, and I outline those boundaries ahead of time. I say, guys, you're not going to get my phone number. You can email me. I answer my emails during these hours. 
Otherwise, you know, if it's an emergency, it's an emergency and you can access whoever you need to, but I'm there for you during these hours and, and being present and in the moment for those hours. But uh, outside of that, I need to take time for me so that I can be there for those times and do the things that I do from my heart and from a place of compassion um, during those hours and be fully engaged. So that's sort of the ways that I ended up changing things around a little bit. Um, and the same thing with my practice. I did it, you know, I have these certain number of patients and I want to give them all of my attention. And then, um, and then when, you know, when they've sort of succeeded in their health journey and sort of graduated on, then I kind of go back and see more type of thing. So it sounds like you're really fostering like quality and presence over quantity of being everything to everybody. I think so that, and I have to say, um, so yes, definitely that aspect. And as well as, as well as a bit of taking um, some of that seva for me. So taking some mm. of those aspects of, you know, the selfless service for myself so that I can be there. Um, and so I can do the things that are important to me. And it could be, you know, something like the art therapy group that I do where I, I'm not an artist by any means. I, I feel like five-year-old children draw better than me, but you know, the things that I, I sit there and I color and I create, like the other day was we were creating, painting our talisman and my talisman was a supplement bottle and I'm painting on it. And I mean, it, it looks terrible, <laughs> but it makes me happy. <laughs> Good. So how does this, um, how does this Seva thing, uh, it's uh, selflessness fit in with that idea of, um, I don't know if you learned it in, I think we learned in health psychology, but that type A person, the type C person, type B, and I know the type C was really loosely talked about in it. I mean, we're not, we're not clinical psychologists, but it, the type C was the one who sort of um, doesn't have the uh, as strong boundaries, says yes all the time, doesn't say no all the time. Can you, can you make any links between any of that from your understanding of mind, body, medicine, SEVA, and uh, your experience? Yeah, I'd have to say, you know, I, I definitely thought a lot about it because when, you know, obviously when a person gets cancer, you look to the why, like, why did this happen? What was, what was going on? Let me reflect back in my life and see. And sometimes we can make associations. Oh yes, I was a smoker my whole life. Obviously I got lung cancer. All right. So there's certain things that we can relate to and, and understand when there's a higher prevalence or a higher chance. In my case, it was, you know, my, my paternal grandmother, she had cancer. She died as a young woman of breast cancer in India and before I met her. And then um, two of her daughters had different types of cancers. So one was unrelated, one was an ovarian cancer, but she was a lot older. Maybe it was related, maybe it wasn't. Um, and so essentially, but since then, you know, my father inherited the gene and then he passed it on to me, but nobody else, none of my other cousins, none of the other, you know, aunts and uncles, nobody else had it. And interestingly enough, I'm the one that looks like my grandmother. I'm the one that acts like her. And I look different from the rest of my family, but I look like her. So, you know, essentially I've, you know, I feel like I've sort of embodied what she didn't finish. She obviously still had more left in this life. And I got cancer around the same age she got cancer and I got to live where she didn't get to live. So, you know, in, in looking at that, I took that sort of aspect, that genetic aspect um, and that sort of aspect of, you know, finishing something that somebody couldn't finish as the energetics or the, the energetics of, a, of that. And I also took in some of the personality, you know, looking at other personality traits. I said, well, yes, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a high achiever. 
Um, and, you know, unapologetically so. I, I, I like this sort of stuff. Um, and the other part is that, you know, I do give a lot of myself. And that perhaps, you know, I, I link back to, you know, why do I give so much of myself? Yes, I, you know, I link my faith to being one of it, but that's not the only reason. The other reason could be perhaps, you know, if I was to sit back and sort of think on it, like many other families in Canada, I came from an immigrant family. You know, I was born in Canada, but my parents came from India and I was the firstborn. So the firstborn in Canada, um, you know, and, and to immigrant parents where English wasn't their first language. And so in having that, I was the one that they would put in front of everything. They would say, well, you're the responsible one. You're the one that speaks English well. So whenever any sort of communications needed to happen, you know, I'm the one reading documents. I'm the one that's communicating. So there was a lot of responsibility put on me, you know, and I have younger siblings and younger, you know, in our culture, cousins are like siblings as well. So I was the eldest and these were all my younger ones who were looking up to me and asking me these sort of questions. So I would kind of help them out. So there's a lot of responsibility put on me at a young age, which isn't a lot of immigrant families can relate to this or firstborns to that. And so I feel like that sort of spread into the personality of that, that type A and type C where I've kind of combined those because I have, you know, if I was to look at it from that perspective, I could see where that sort of evolved from. The other part that I think about is a lot of mind body medicine if I'm gonna look at the whys. And so another why aspect that I look at is I look at sort of, you know, when we're looking at these mind-body connections, I look to see some of, um, you know, the law of spiritual preceding, the law of the spiritual sort of preceding um, the physical manifestations of something that occurs. So if spiritually I'm sort of, you know, one aspect, taking, you know, I'm, I'm reliving or I'm, I'm embodying what was going on in the past of a person who was like me. So I've got that part of it. I've got, you know, the aspects that I'm taking from of giving too much of myself, of striving and doing a lot and not maybe resting when I should be resting and, and saying no when I should be saying no. Taking those parts of it. And then, you know, that really is a lot of our fourth chakra, which is in our heart right? And our heart chakra has to do a lot with many aspects of nurturing, such as the breast, right? And the breasts embody things like not just women and sensuality, but they also provide nurturing and caring and nutrition. So all that sort of stuff, I wasn't giving to myself, but I was giving to others. So when I look back and I, I think to the why and, and to not beat myself up, I say, okay, well, you know, this was a good lesson for me to say, you know, this was a sort of a fourth chakra mind-body connection as well to say this is something that I need to work on. It was a good sort of realization for me um, uh, to say, look, you know, this is, you've done, done great. You're, you're, you know, things are great. You've done awesome. Now it's time to take care of yourself. And this is the way you're going to do it so that you're not, you know, take your type A personality and do something with it. I, um, I love, it's great to talk to you at this stage where you really are reflecting on, you know, some of those whys and um, being able to have a little bit of space from that initial shock. Um, I think it's important, and you've mentioned it as we were chatting before recording, um, I think it's good to acknowledge that you've, you've expressed, you've had a lot of anger through this journey and probably to this day. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yes, definitely. So, say, you know, I talk about my art therapy and I talk about the things that I do and they're important because now, you know, coming up to, like I said, it's been a year later 
you know, this time last year, I was in the midst of chemotherapy, not knowing what was going to happen to me. And now looking back, I'm, you know, I get bouts where I'm angry. And I was saying, well, you know, had I just known I just needed to take care of my fourth chakra, I would have done that. You know, had I known it was going to lead to cancer or I don't know, or if had I known I, you know, why didn't I look at that lump closely? And so, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's a slippery slope sometimes when you reflect because mm-hmm. you reflect on some of the things and the, and the why and you have to let go. And so there are moments mm-hmm. and there are real moments where I sit here and I'll, you know, I'll have a good day. And sometimes I take a look at, I talk to my husband and I'm like, I feel like cancer has taken me into becoming a different person and I'm not the same person I'm not that bubbly wide-eyed person I feel like I once was now I feel like I've aged mentally and physically and I'm you know another part of me is you know I look at my body and I was like this isn't the body I had for 40 years of my life I don't I don't know this it it needs to be fed differently than my my body from before and it it doesn't look like my body from before I don't have you know I'm in menopause now I, you know, and I don't have breasts anymore. I don't, you know, I have scars and I have, you know, one side is fake and one side is nothing. And, you know, my skin act the way it used to, you know, 40 years prior. So, you know, I, I, those moments when they hit me and, you know, I was like, you know, my hair is different now too. And it's growing in. I've never had hair that was this short before or curly. It's this weird curl now, <laughs> which I'm trying to figure out what to do with. And it doesn't let me do anything except just this. <laughs> I, I have a lot of, you know, I'll have moments of anger. And I have to say, the majority of the time, I'm, I'm well and I'm good. And I feel like I work through a lot of stuff, but there are moments where I'm angry. And, you know, through like, a, you know, having a great support team has been awesome because when I'm angry, I don't need someone telling me, just be positive. It'll be like, no, I don't, I don't need you telling me to be positive. When I'm going to be angry, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to do angry things that I do. I'm, if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. If I'm going to be mad at the world, I need to have a moment and go off, you know, maybe go stomp somewhere or like color in my coloring book. I don't know, just be angry. But when I'm angry and I, I need to express those emotions and, and know that it's and have a safe space to feel like when I need to express emotions, I like to be either by myself or with people. Sometimes I want to witness like a, someone who's close to me and I want mm-hmm. the space. And so through all of this, I've learned that it's okay for me to have emotions that aren't, you know, aren't happy all the time, aren't calm and happy. I can be angry. I can be anxious. I can be sad. I can do all those things and I can be there and I can have those emotions. And those around me can be like, that sucks. Yes. I agree with you. Let's, let's, let's be angry together, or I'm going to give you the space to do what you need to do or to feel, you know, to do that. Is there anything I, I can do to support you? Do you need me to throw a dish or something, you know, just somebody to do something with me. And so once I've gone there and once I've mm. expressed what I needed to express, I always tell everyone, I'm like, I don't live there. I don't stay in that space. Cause once I've had it and I've, I've released it and had it out, then I feel like then I can, then I can be clear headed and develop the tools that I need to move from there. And so I don't like to live in that space, but I think it's important to have it. It's important to be sad when you're feeling sad, but you don't need to stay there. I feel like I'm okay. I've cried it out. I'm sad. Was that, but now what, what can I do now? And I'm a, I'm a doer, right? I create binders when I have cancer, I, you know, do things. So I like, so I'm like, okay, I did that. 
now it's time for me to do a meditation or I'm going to do yoga because I love yoga and I'm going to do things that nurture me that I love. So I sit back and I go through my list of all the things that I love to do. You know, I'm going to call one of my colleagues or friends or somebody and I'm going to just sit here and chat or I'm going to, you know, here I, I keep a daily reminder. My husband put this here for me, but I've got a picture here of like my grandparents and my aunts and my brother. And so I have pictures of family and that looking at them makes me happy. And looking at my grandmother's smiling face, my maternal grandmother makes me laugh too. So I do things like that, but you know, in the, in the spirit of knowing that it's okay for me to be upset when I'm upset. Is that something you had to learn? Like, did you have, did you have trouble with that? I feel like, like it's, um, I, allowing yourself to, to feel that anger. I feel like it was, yes, definitely. Cause I think whether it's a cultural thing, like, you know, in our, in, in South Asian culture, it's not something that we typically express um, or being like the eldest or, you know, whatever it might be. It's not for whatever reason, it wasn't something that came easy to me. It was something that, you know, sadness and anger and all those types of things weren't something that I, you know, in, in as far as, um, as far as understanding how to express, it was probably one of my best ones to learn how to communicate across and to work through. Mm -hmm. So when all this came around, it really taught me how to how to be angry and to be okay with being, I think, yeah, I think it's to be okay with being angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be all these things and to know that those things are fine. And it's not, you know, I think as a society, we tend to feel like we always need to move through emotions really quickly when in actuality, we can also sit in them for the moments that we need to sit in them and then process mm -hmm. so that we can help in the processing of them. How does how does the order usually go? Like, do you do you find you get angry and then sad, or do you get sad and then angry, or is, it, is there no real uh, pattern that you've noticed? You know, there's no rhyme or reason to it anymore. What I find is that my behaviors will tell me that something is going on because it's still something I'm learning. So mm -hmm. I'll find that I'll be doing things and and saying things, and that that make me sort of sit back and reflect and be like, "Well, gee, what's going on? Let's let's take a seat. Let's take a moment and." Maybe this is a good time for a reflection journal and just to take a moment and be like, it's happening in there. And so when I notice myself maybe being like a little, you know, maybe I'm a bit short tempered or if I'm being, um, I'd probably say, you know, as co you know, being, being in during COVID times with just my husband and I in the house alone, perhaps I'm a little bit more short tempered sometimes than I ought to be. And so when I'm being a little bit more so than I ought to be, that's when I, I'm like, mm why is this chewing really bothering me today? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's when I have to take a step back and be like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> is it really his chewing or is there something else? <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be maybe uh, difficult sometimes to discern now if you're more direct and less people-pleasing, right? Like I'm sure people under will understand a bit of this. It may sound like you're being bitchy or curt or whatever, or are you just being more direct and less people-pleasing? Like is I'm sure people maybe confuse that. Is there ever, is there, do you know now what's the sort of difference between the two? Between being bitchy and being curt? No. And then, and then just being like, that's sort of like the, the negative sort of side of it. But on the other side of that is just like, you know, being direct and not like beating around the bush and being, um, you know, just honoring your own time and not having to be a people pleaser where you're, be extra nice. Oh, oh, that's nice. Well, maybe it's not. Just <laughs> yeah. You know, is there is there a difference there? Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna let in on a secret that I think 
anybody who's gone through anything really difficult or cancer um, may drop this and uh, we, we tend to use it as an excuse. It's kind of like the secret thing. Once you're part of this club, um, this sort of aspect comes into it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, okay, I'm sorry if I've given out the secret, but um, so once you have cancer, you can use it as an excuse for anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, if, if ever I'm, if, you know, and most people know that I've gone through cancer. So if ever I am being like, you know, if I'm being my, you know, my Kurt or whatever itself, sometimes you're like, oh, it's, you know, I, I feel like people are a bit more forgiving because I've had cancer. They're like, oh, it's okay. She's had cancer. She can, she can say these sort of things. <laughs> So, but I, but yeah, you, you've earned that ticket. <laughs> yes. I, I get a card. I get a, I get the yeah. cancer card that I, I play. So I feel like, you know, but that's just our, our little secret that we joke with, but outside of that, yes, I feel like now it's more um, being direct than being maybe bitchy or curt where I, I feel like I'm, you know, I, I express what I'm trying to express through the, with intention and with explanation so if I say, you know, I, if I am sort of say with my students or um, with somebody, if I'm expressing what I dislike or like, I usually have a backing of something, some reasoning um, of what I'm saying or, or not. I mean, it's also not my goals to make sure everybody likes me in that, in that sense either. Like if the student doesn't like me, that's okay. You know, as long as they get mm -hmm. a good education, as long as I feel like, you know, they're getting a good education and they're doing all the things that they need, that's what's more important. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't like me because they didn't do well, that's okay. You, um, you've talked about, um, you know, as you're here on your year anniversary um, or around now, um, you've, I think you referred to it as your sisterversary, and that's honoring the women who have helped you. Um, I'd love to hear about that because I, I, I fully acknowledge the power of women, and I'd love to hear how you experienced that through this year. Definitely. You know, it, it was one of my big reflections. So I showed you that picture of my maternal grandmother. So she's really the embodiment of the sisterversary who I sort of dedicated it to. When I first moved out to San Diego in, 20, in March of 2017, I came out here and then two weeks later she passed away. And then a month later, my grandfather passed away. And so, and my, my grandmother truly represents, um, you know, a big part of my life. And she's, she's, you know, in, in sort of uh, these sort of collective cultures, she's one where she was the matriarch and sort of overheld everybody. And all my mother's siblings all lived, you know, we all lived between Mississauga and Brampton and everybody sort of lived within close range of each other. And my grandmother, we called her the speaker because, you know, as soon as anything goes to her, it'll, it'll go out to the rest of the family within <laughs> seconds. And I feel like, you know, we can all sort of relate to people like this in our lives. But so she, she really represented that matriarch for us and so as a part of that you know I was five years old when she so her my grandfather and at that time my 18 year old uncle had moved to Canada so they moved to Canada and they lived with us and she was someone um, who I got to experience sort because you know my parents had already been living in Canada my father went to school to university in Canada so he was by the time I came around you know they had already gotten the whole Canada thing down but I got to watch my grandparents sort of navigate this new world and be a part of it. So while she was, you know, while they were living with us and while they, you know, and then eventually moved close by to us, I got to see them go through um, developing their circle of friends and learning what that looks like. So my grandmother was, you know, a, a true extrovert in every way. And she thrived and lived and loved off of, loved 
involving herself within these community of women. And she would always sort of be around the center of women where everybody were her tia or pangia, which means sisters. And so all of her friends were her sisters and all of the friends' children sort of referred to my grandmother as a maternal aunt, which is Masi. So they all referred to her in that regard. So, you know, I kind of grew up with, and then with, you know, other family immigrating, I got to see the same thing, but they were the first ones that had immigrated that I got to see. So in seeing all of this, I, I truly learned about how, how to value the circle of women that we create. She came from a village community. And so that was sort of that village sort of mentality and community was to create these. And, you know, in a circle of women, you have, you have uh, empowerment, you have knowledge, you have empathy, you have, um, you know, you've got caring, you've got all these, you've got medicine, you have everything that you need, um, sorry, Dave, are within the circle of women, right? Um, I'm sure men have the same thing. Um, but any case, but women, in, in my case, I'm focusing on women. So, and so then in that, um, I got to learn how, um, you know, I got to really see that. And I sort of, without realizing, I was sort of building that with for myself too, where I had all these um, circle of women around me. So when I got diagnosed, you know, I called the first, you know, the first few people I called were, um, you know, mainly our classmates. So I, I first called um, one of my childhood friends and she lived in Philadelphia. Um, and so she lived in Philadelphia, but you know, throughout it all, she was there with me. So, you know, I called Montre, Montre, you know, sobbed and cried with me when I first told her. And so she really represented some of like the, you know, my consciousness and heart fibers as I was traveling through this sort of cancer journey. And she was there with me during chemo and during, um, during some, during my surgery as well. And then I called some of our classmates and I called our, you know, a couple of our classmates and they were really there for me to drive me to appointments, to hold my hand, to do, um, to, to consult with me and give me, you know, they're like, cause you know, I can't really think clearly when I'm going through this. And some of our classmates really focused on cancer care. So I would, you know, I, I sought their knowledge and I, some of them were there for me to, you know, when I needed to be angry or when I needed caring or any of that sort of stuff, all these people with my, you know, within my community started to come together. So classmates came together, um, colleagues came together, my family and all of my circles of family all came together. Um, and so it was really wonderful to see and uh, how all these people came together. And so one other thing that, you know, immediately after, you know, speaking to some of the people who were within my immediate circle, I also, for whatever reason, felt the need to reach out to my mentors. And perhaps because I've sought guidance in them before and in this portion now within my circle, I needed guidance as well in my circle. So immediately my thoughts went to, I had, um, I, you know, my, when I was in high school, I'd gone, um, I had, I had a, an English teacher who I absolutely adored. And I really saw a lot of the things that I value within myself. I learned from her, the, you know, I was this shy, awkward teenager um, who didn't truly know, you know, as, as many teenagers are. So I was a shy, mm -hmm. awkward teenager, but she was, um, she saw through that and she had me sort of be involved with things like the drama club um, and to really, and she really fostered my love of the arts. And as well as I got to see what a strength and a powerful woman that she is even to this day and see how she used that, use that, um, use that strength to help to teach others. 
And so I really valued her. So I sought her help and she really helped guide me. And then the other one was my music teacher and from the same school. And I, the, I, the school I went to goes from junior kindergarten at that time, OAC. So it went all the way through. So he's been my music teacher. He was my music teacher from when I was seven years old up until I graduated high school. And so he's a person who, again, through the arts of like going through the process of like difficult things like sheet music, which was really difficult at times. But, you know, he taught me that you can go through things section by section and eventually it all comes together to something beautiful. So I learned to go through hard things through him. And so, you know, gathering from my mentors and then I reached out to, you know, our school's mentors as well. So all my mentors from there, I reached out to and I said, look, I'm going through this hard time. I could really just, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just reaching out to you because I'm reaching out to you and letting you know that I'm going through this hard time. And, you know, they would message me and they would connect with me here and there and meant the world to me, even if it was just a quick message to say, hey, just thinking of you, hope you're doing well, or how was chemotherapy mm -hmm. today? Or did you think of this, that sort of stuff. And so it was really great to, to reach out to those people and uh, to form my community. So now my community of women also make up men and women. Um, I have to have to say that, that my sisters are also men as well. And so, um, mm -hmm. but the, but they also are fit in that, in that wheel of, of, uh, of, of care and of empowerment and of empathy and mm -hmm. all those different factors. And so when it came to a year, I sat back and I reflect to all of the people helping me out in all those ways. And it just brings me to tears because I couldn't, I can't even think, I, like the, the thought of how compassionate these people are and how much they did for me, I just, you know, it really showed me the power of that sisterhood. And so as a result, I've been calling it the sisterversary because it's now a realization for me to say this, and it really sort of solidifies that importance and how I want to make sure that I always live my life within the circle of these sisters um, in anything that I do, whether it's through work, whether, and that's why I see patients in the way that I see patients is because I try to embody that same sort of, you know, that same sort of smaller method in the same way with my teaching, same thing I do through any sort of guidance or mentorship is to keep in that same sort of mentality. Mm -hmm. Nice. I want, uh, we have one, we can yeah. ask one question. Yeah, you, I have, or do you have something else to ask? Cause I was, no, gonna, you go ahead. Okay. I was gonna, <laughs> We're we fighting have, we, over questions here. <laughs> well, well, I was going to ask you, you know, usually we end with, um, you know, the one thing that you'd like uh, any listener to take away from this. Cause it's, it's hard. Sometimes there's so much good information that if you just want to sum things up to one thing for people to take away that you can, you can talk about that, but I was going to give you an option for a different answer or a different question if you want. And the other question was, um, you know, Upon reflecting over a year of this uh, journey for you, what would you say to someone who was in the room, uh, like where you were that first day that you were diagnosed and it was just the overflow of information, the the sort of suddenness, the everything about it, like you in the room when you first learned you'd been diagnosed, uh, what would you take from uh, what you know now and, and share with that person? Okay, so I'll, I'll answer that, that question because I think the other one I feel like I answered with the sisterversary part. Yeah, we yeah. Okay. Okay. And so I feel like, you know, and I've, I've thought about that quite a bit. Like if I was to go through that all over again or if somebody else was in that same situation, what would I want them to know? And honestly, all I can come back to and everything that I keep thinking about is just a big hug and to let them know that I'm there. 
You know, there's because cancer can be such a lonely road, but it can also, but it doesn't have to be. Um, whether you have cancer or the threat of cancer or, um, or anything that you've gone through a hard journey, knowing that there's somebody else, even if they haven't gone through the exact same thing, but are there to give you space and to, to give you a hug, to envelop you and to say, I'm here with you. Whether and even and, and whatever you do is okay, but I'm here with you. I feel like that's the most important thing um, because that's the only time where I didn't feel alone was when somebody would just give me a hug and say, okay, I'm here with you. Whether it's happy, sad, whatever it is, it's okay. I, and even if they don't know at all, you know, because uh, they haven't gone through the same thing, it doesn't have to be that way. It's just knowing that someone is there that's, that's, you know, and giving and being there with them was probably the best thing that I, you know, that, that I could probably go through because going through it utterly alone is a difficult place to be. And I love that for someone who is so, you know, geeky and like was, has your binder. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. you, so someone's so geeky and you have your binders and you're on it and you know, like, okay, here's the plan. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. But the yeah. most important thing is the connection and the presence of somebody else. Exactly. Absolutely. And hey, it's, yeah, I'd have to say that's, that was probably one of the best things that, you know, to go through in that regard, because it really made me realize that yes, all the organization, all the, you know, the super structured ways that I have things, those are all great. Those are all the, those are the sidelines, but the most important thing is to know that you have connection. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think that's a great way. I think that's an awesome way to end. And I've loved our conversation. And thank you for sharing it with us. Mm-hmm. Likewise, this has been great. <laughs>